Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Dr. Ian Brooks is the chief executive and founder of Roadsmith Consulting, leading transformations of people and organizations for over 24 years. Ian holds a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, a master's in clinical psychology, and a bachelor's from Auburn University. He is the author of the upcoming book, Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Ian D. Brooks, CEO and founder of Roadsmith Consulting. Hi, Sonia. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Hi. I am so glad that we hooked up because, and that might sound wrong to the audience, I'm so glad (laughs) we got together to have this talk because you have so much that you offer. I mean, I looked at your bio and it's so impressive. Can you explain to us in terms of how you work with the self and what your business is? Yeah. So Roadsmith Consulting is a consultancy intended to help people realize their intentions. And in particular, I focus on developing individuals from a coaching perspective, one-on-one, taking their possibilities and making them build, help them build capabilities to make them a reality. In that, I work with individuals from corporations, uh, work with groups, as well as working with individuals outside of corporations, just on a one-on-one basis to help them improve their story. I actually came up with the name Road Smith and in its infancy because I wanted to help individuals own and manage their paths. So the thing about roads, um, it's our own path and our journey to our exploration of who we are and then how can we interact that within our own world. Likewise, I wanted to incorporate smiths. So the thing about blacksmiths back in the day when they're forging metal between, you know, the heat and bending it and building up to the right temperature just to make something different. We too in our own journeys are going through a similar process of transformation, much like blacksmiths, where we will put ourselves through challenges, pushing our boundaries and creating new possibilities into the extent that it's creating something new, different tomorrow than it is today. So that's what my business is about. And that's where Roadsmith came from. I love the meaning of the name. It has some meaning to it. I did Poetic Resurrection because it's a rebirth of poetry, but it's also a rebirth of a person because I find that people, there is a poetic life or poetic soul or poetic inner self. Mm-hmm. perceptions, like we talked about earlier, you have to change your perceptions in order to, to come up with an intention that would actually right. work. Now, how do you work with perceptions or the soul or their inner being with a person in order to get to that intention? Sure. My coaching, as well as my book, Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story, is really anchored on self. It starts off in my coaching practice, starts off with the principle of you. In particular, acknowledging our own stories and our own characters. We are the authors, the characters, the set designers within our own stories. 
And as such, as we think about it from a transformation standpoint, we need to first anchor on who we are and being able to answer that question in a lot more tangible and specific manner so that we know, number one, who are my characters? And when I say characters, let me be even more specific because a character is not, I'm a brother, I'm a uncle, I am a VP, I'm this. Those are titles bestowed on us by others to offer a definition and meaning. What I'm really talking about from a character standpoint is that I'm the abominable snowman. I am the Mr. Know-it-all. I am the Mr. Degree. Those are characters of personalities of who we bring to the table each and every single day. So if I'm Mr. Degree, and I talk about it a little bit in my book, at a young age, I thought I needed a degree to justify my knowledge, to verify who I was, to show that I was good enough, at least academically anyway. And as such, everything I did was founded on the principle of getting a degree. So I got a master's, I got a separate PhD, I got a personal training certification, got a bartender certification, got a customer service certification. They kind of go together, right? (laughs) Right. And now, now, now I've, now I've got that one, you know, now I've got a character that I've created in my life that has founded a point of validation. Now I'm happy for all those degrees. And quite frankly, you know, it's, they've been a wonderful journey that I've of self-exploration, but I also recognize that it's also a personality of, of whom I brought to the table and bring to the table as a source of validation. And so acknowledging that character in myself, how does that now influence my ability to want to do something different? Because anything I do different is gonna have an anchor on that character or any other character of which I've created in my life because we have multiple characters, we just don't have one. And so as we think about to your very question of this idea of self and who we are, now applying that to wanting to do something different, we have to take into account our characters. Not to be lost in that conversation is also the environment of which we've created around us, most notably our people, places, and things that keep us safe and reinforce the characters that we've created, reinforce our biases, reinforce our assumptions around the world. As we think about changing and transformation, we often struggle to try to do something new with the same context, with the same definitions of the environment, with the same context and definition of our characters. And as we think about doing something different behaviorally, we also need to make sure that we're either letting go or even transforming how we even see our own environment as well as our own characters. I totally agree. I was an overachiever. (laughs) When I was in school, I had to be on the dean's list and be cum laude and all that kind of stuff. And then what I realized that granted, I love that I learned all of this. Mm-hmm. To me, knowledge is so incredibly important. Yes. But I also feel that I've learned more on my own. Mm-hmm. I have learned more about my life and the life of others just by researching it on my own. Because mm-hmm. I'm more in tune to who my personality is. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can definitely understand that. And it even aligns back to what obviously the title of the podcast, The Poetic Resurrection. To be a poet or to be an author, it takes owning your own voice. Yes. It's a reinforcement of maybe what we have learned around us, but to make it special, to make it have some level of meaning, to make it have purpose. Yes. And you're the only one that can write your story. Absolutely. So often we're chasing someone else's story. Yes. And that's where we often get 
into trouble. And why I also in the book started off with that, the principle of you, owning your own voice. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't and don't want to achieve what others have, but as much as putting into context of who we are, because that's what makes it authentic and that's what makes it alive. Yes, I came into more of a being with the intention is by meditating mm -hmm. because our mind as important as our mind is i really feel our mind is like that really protective dog that's <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. like whatever you teach it is what it's going to do and it will do anything to protect you in fact attacked others to try to protect you and uh -huh. that's how our mind i find works it works yes. um our perceptions attack before we listen. Yes. And our soul, it just whispers. Our inner voice yes. whispers. And you can't fight that mind that picked up all these intentions of other people. Abs absolutely. And you're, you're spot on. You know, our minds race. Um, we're caught in a, a world where information is just built upon each other at such a rapid pace that we don't acknowledge the quiet those moments when we're listening to our own voice. And so as I talk about it, and, and I even call it out specifically in my book, at the very outset, whereby I talk about, we need to manage and own our pace. And I just created the, you know, an acronym out of it, that it's our patience, our holding ourselves accountable, being committed, and actually even owning our emotions. In those moments, we also, in that pace, we have to pause. Pause in that moment and rec recognize, how am I feeling? What am I thinking about? getting off our phones and just finding whatever locale to just get lost in your thoughts. We also have to process, right? <laughs> Thinking. The one thing and the freest thing that we all have, bar none, is our ability to think. People can, can control our time. They can control our space. They can influence how we think. But we ultimately have that perspective on what we provide value to. And as we think about it from a change or even just a self-perspective, it's really taking that time to just reflect on what we have. And understanding that we need to take that time away from the noise and the clutter in our minds to really get clear on who we are and what we want to achieve in life. Well, what would you say to a person that really wants to change? Yeah. But they're so influenced by their beliefs that they grew up with and they can't even identify who they are. Where do you start? Yeah. It's first thing is to one, if they've come to that point to say they want to change and want something different. That's the start already. It's feeling that there's something different, something more. So that is the first start. I'd say, congratulations, that's the first step. The second piece is let's start to unravel what that change or that difference might feel like. What is causing that difference? Is it within yourself? So again, starting off with the principle of you of who are you? Do you see yourself being mapped to what you're doing and feeling and sensing? Does it align to what you're thinking and where might be there the challenges or the disconnects between the two or the three? And then once we acknowledge where those are potential gaps, as well as where is their alignment, now we have a baseline to say, okay, now I have a sense of what potentially I want to do different. But also in that difference is acknowledging, as I mentioned, what's around us that keeps us where we are. What tells us that this is something that I want to do different or what around me tells me that I need to continue to do this to move forward in my life. And then finally, it's about challenging our assumptions behind each one of our questions and as well as their answers. So what I like to do with my clients 
and the people I'm coaching and even myself is in order for a statement to be true, what do I have to assume? So in this example, if someone approaches me as they often do saying, I feel uncomfortable. Okay, now I assumed already that something is a discomfort. So let's start with what is that discomfort? Where do you feel it? Where do you see it? What do you experience it? Now we can start to now navigate towards clarity. Oftentimes you see an interwoven fabric of a wonderful cachet of a picture. Yet we need to start unraveling that picture a little bit, unraveling that cloth stitch by stitch to uncover what we really want to achieve, what we really want to feel, what we really want to experience. And that, when we get closer to that truth, that's when we can embark truly and authentically towards our own path and our own journey. Yes, and I've discussed this on several shows. I grew up in poverty. Mm -hmm. Didn't know I was in poverty as a child, though. Sure. That sense of lack was something that I needed to work through. Mm -hmm. There's many people that have that sense of lack mm -hmm. and it influences their behavior and many things, but yet it's not who they really are. And so they can sense like I knew I had, I had lack and I started practicing gratitude. And honestly, mm -hmm. now I feel I have so much abundance. Sure. I still have to work on those little voices in your head that say, yes. no, yes. no. And then like, Yes, but I can. And then you have like the, yeah. the conversation with yourself. It's like, yes, I can. No, you can't. You know, right. How do you quiet that? Because sometimes I get into meditation and it gets even worse. Then I yeah. really are like fighting. What do you advise on someone who does want to change? You know, someone like me who's always working on myself. Yeah. If you're working on yourself, that it's, it's amazing. And to your acknowledgement and the voices we hear for ourselves, that's just natural. Um, you're constantly pushing yourself in a new direction. So you're always going to hear those voices. When you're, especially when you're going down a path that is new, you're going to continuously hear those voices, that, those deterrents, those voices that keep you safe, those characters that you've built up in your life to make you successful today. Yes. To say, no, we shouldn't go down this path, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's about safety. And there's nothing wrong with that. As you're hearing those voices, it's about being able to pause process what you're actually hearing and reflect on where, where are they coming from? It comes from a place of protection. And so when I do it to myself and when I'm, when I'm getting beat myself up or thinking about something, I let the voices come. I let the voices just be heard. To hear them does not mean I'm actually listening, yes. but just that they're heard. I take value in the direction in which they're trying to keep me, but I also don't provide any additional weight to them and so in that, I say, thank you. I say, thank you to myself. Thank you for keeping me safe. Now we can move forward. Because right? you acknowledge them and now exactly. you can move on it's instead of suppressing them. Exactly. The more we suppress, the more they're going to come back. No different, as you mentioned, for the, the dogs, right? Um, <laughs> or, or you back a cat into the corner, the ears go down. I mean, it, this is just what happens to us. And we have to continuously reinvest in ourselves, reinvest in those thoughts because they will be coming. And we have to be open to those possibilities, open to those fears, because change and really thinking about ourselves and trying to reenact new behaviors and actualizing who we are and want to be creates vulnerability. Yes. And that vulnerability, it's like, oh, poop. 
like that's <laughs> I don't want any part of this. Like, like I have other things that I need to be vulnerable vulnerable about. There are other things that I need to be thinking about or want to be thinking about. This isn't one of them. I just want to solve this one thing, or I just want that end result over here. Mm-hmm. But it's never just one thing. It's never just an easy flip of the switch. What it is is really embarking on who we are and, and our thoughts, as you described. And for those who are who struggle with that transformation, be it now or tomorrow, or even myself, even as an expert, I'm reminded of owning who I've become. But that doesn't necessarily define who I can be. Yes, because I find that, and you probably find this with the people you work with, is you feel if you change, and I love change, so I'm not that common. I mean, most people don't like change. I also find it difficult that within that change, you feel like you're not sure-footed anymore. Yes. If, when you're feeling like you're not sure-footed, it is very scary. But what I have found mm-hmm. by me allowing myself to go there, that I've gotten more creative. Yes. The other side of it is creativity and that pressure that's off of that. But going through it is scary. Mm-hmm. What would you advise on someone that wants to, they have that intention, sure, but now they're not fe- feeling sure-footed anymore. Absolutely. And, and with any change, there will be points of, of fear. It will be scary. You're going from being an expert in or comfortable in the areas where you are versus an area that you just don't know. And there's several things that I talk to my clients about as we think about change and that fear that is inherent upon our ability to have meaningful life and how to manage that. One of the things is trusting yourself. Do you trust yourself enough to continue down this path? Do you trust yourself enough to do something different? In that, do you also have your self-efficacy or your confidence to do it, to persevere? Because there will be fear, there will be challenges, there will be failure, as well as there will be happiness, there will be enjoyment, there will be laughter, there will be something new. If you can trust yourself, if we can re-anchor on who we are and being able to manage our own emotions and feelings, as we're embarking upon a journey, and most notably fear, we're more apt to be able to push through on what we're trying to realize. Those behaviors of which I've described, most notably even trying to manage our fears, will come up with any change that we go about. It's just a matter of what's the severity of that change and what's the severity of that fear and level of that fear. Thus, when I talk about change, I think about it in the context of we're building capabilities, we're building confidence, we're building that comfort, we're giving ourselves the ability to self even regulate our own emotions, because they are going to come up. We're giving ourselves a time to reflect and analyzing our experience, acknowledging our emotions that come up, but often giving our chance to ourselves a chance to adjust. And that then drives us to be able to move forward for any change, both physical or emotional that we go through. I've seen some people that they're really on that path to change, but it seems like the family they live with, be it marriage or just family, are fighting them on their change because now they have to also change because Mm -hmm. your story changed 
And it's really difficult. I mean, it just, yeah. I have found that with family or the really close people, because now they don't know who you are anymore. Yes, that, that um, you're absolutely right. And, our, and that goes back to our environments. Our environment, and most notably, as you called out, the people in our lives, we play a role in their life. We show up a certain way. We talk a certain way. We interact with them in a certain way, because that's the ritual. That's their perception. That's the template of whom they have fell in love with, or we've become friends with for shared knowledge. And when someone starts to evolve or go in a different direction, that's when you start to see where our people, in this case, but it could be our places or things, offer a way for us to be drawn back into our, back into the space where they or it feels comfortable which may not necessarily be our comfort. Exactly. Be able to expand beyond that. So in dealing with, in working with people um, and working with my clients and as they're working with the people surrounding them who are going to be impacted by changes, it's also getting clarity and being able to communicate what the changes will be for them. And acknowledging that while you may be evolving, maybe moving out of your impoverished area as you described earlier, then going someplace else, you've now changed the dynamic of what your environment used to be. And even the people who may still be there, doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean that you don't still care. Doesn't mean that we're not friends. Doesn't mean that we don't have shared experiences. It also doesn't mean that I need to stay there. Yes. Be it mentally or physically. It doesn't mean that I can't evolve in a different direction. When we start talking about change and we're talking about our environment, especially the people around us, we think about change as an either or proposition. It's either you are or you're not. Sometimes it can be an and. It's I am who I am and I'm expanding myself. Now, not to be lost in this, right? Sometimes we do need to let go of certain things yes. because it served its purpose before and I now just need to let that go. It's no longer going to serve a purpose in my life moving forward because that's the right thing to do. But when it comes to the, and that sometimes comes to people. People can be draining when they're not supportive. They can be draining when they're take, now dependent upon you to stay in your role, a role that you didn't subscribe to or want to be in any longer. In those instances, yes, we do need to let go. But on the surface and most generally speaking, when we're working with our people, it's an and. It's, yes, I am changing. Yes, there will be certain things that I will be doing differently. But you can come along this journey with me. And if not, that's fine. But this is my journey. And this is my evolution. And just being transparent and owning that, holding yourself accountable, and being committed to your investment in who you are. And that's how you start working around your environment. And sometimes it works out for the best and sometimes it doesn't. Yes, because I've found that you all grow some relationships. Absolutely. I'm very social. So I like having my friends. I like having them come along the journey with me. But I also know that I life's too short to be yeah. living someone else's story. Right. I want to be on my deathbed. I mean, not right now, yeah. but I want to, <laughs> on my deathbed, I want to say I have amazing memories. I lived my life to the fullest and I have no regrets and no should have, could have, would have. Yeah. I am there. Yeah. It's and to your very statement. And, and obviously we don't necessarily need to, to wait to our deathbed for that. But I, I think the here and now offers us an opportunity to do something different, to say, you know what? I have a choice. I have a choice on this very moment. I can't change yesterday, 
I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, but I can help influence it though. Mm -hmm. What I do have control over is this moment. But as you mentioned, as we're writing our own story and as we're moving forward, in the end, all we will remember is our story. We will only remember the things that we did or our experiences. We have a choice to influence that. And that choice becomes now centered on what we believe, what we feel, happiness. And quite frankly, I've yet to meet anybody across my various experiences, being in a psychology ward, to working with executives, to just working with people in between. It's a function of we all want to be better. We all have a story. That story starts with acknowledgement, belief in ourselves, and ultimately choice. Yes. And I think we move on because we can't change other people. Yeah. We could only change ourselves. And I remember leaving the neighborhood in Chicago and Mm -hmm. it's a great area. People Mm -hmm. were wonderful, but I want, I knew there was something better. Sure. I knew there was a different life out there. Sure. And I give kudos to my mom who always said, be the best you can be. Mm -hmm. I did have to leave it in order to change. Absolutely. Uh, There's there's a a, a quote that I like from Lucy Maud Montgomery and and I'll paraphrase it because I don't know if I'll get it right. Um, But basically it goes for, we pay a price for everything we get or take in this world. And all, and although ambitions are well worth having, they are not cheaply won. That quote resonates with me as we think about letting go of our histories, letting go of certain actions so we can move forward. You let go of certain friendships, time, space, comfort, safety. Safety maybe not in, in space, but safety in spirit and surrounding, familiarity. Yes. At least you knew what you were getting. You replace that with vulnerability, but also possibility. But it started with that choice and belief. There's a line from a poem, and I wish I could remember the entire name of the poem, but the last line is, not everything you lose is meant to be a loss. Yes. And I find like sometimes losing is winning or what we would consider losing is winning. Mm-hmm. I have said, you know what? I'm not even going to bother with this. I'm going to let it go because it doesn't mean that much to me, but it obviously means quite a bit to the other person. Mm-hmm. So let them have it. I, when am I going to argue just to win an argument? What's that? Uh, you um, win every battle and lose the war. Yeah. And what's it worth to you? What's my priority and what am I fighting for? Not who, but what am I fighting for? If you're fighting a who, that who should be yourself. If you're fighting someone else, that's a lot. Now you're getting into influencing try, or controlling or trying to influence in ways that put your stamp on them and trying to change them for your benefit. So if they stay in your, the box you created for them, it's in those moments when I know I find and catch myself, am I arguing for us so that we can be better? Or am I arguing for me? Do I stay in my comfort zone and you stay right where, and I need you in the box I put you in. And when I'm in that moment and when I recognize that I just pause. And I think to myself that, and I ask myself that very question, like, what am I fighting for? And as you described, a lot of times when you're hearing the conversation around you, it's the argument of, I need you to be in the place I put you, not a place where we can be together and us comfortably be someplace else. And that's a challenge for a lot of us. Again, going back to our own safety and knowing thyself. There are some times, because I am a creature of habit, like I eat the same thing all the time. So yeah. when I go to the grocery store, I say, okay, 
I have to buy one thing that I've never had before. Right. And that's how I do that. And when it comes to being in a, in a heated discussion, even Mm -hmm. while I'm in it, I'm like, why am I so emotional about this? Right. If I was really in control, I wouldn't be emotional. Mm -hmm. So why, what causes that kind of emotion to come up? Yeah. And I don't think there's one answer to that. It could be what the conversation topic represents, what the person in front of you represents. It could be merely a word that someone uses and what it represents. It could be how you feel in that moment and maybe the buildup of other actions from that day or week or month that now have a culminating effect. But there's a lot that we bring to the table in this very moment that offers us transparency, offers us an acknowledgement of and an opportunity to say to what you've asked, what is causing this emotion in me right now? Is it really the person standing in front of me? Is it really that person? Or is it what they represent? Or is it something that they're telling me? Or is it the box they put me in that I signed up for, but I don't want to be in this box? So I know I recall having this conversation, even with myself, I was, I was working on a project, had gone through the interview process and it was the first month in it. And I realized that my own frustrations on a day-to-day basis and working with individuals on the team were just building up. And I would just leave every day just frustrated and just, just downright annoyed. One night I said, okay, Ian, I said to myself, all right, Ian, why are you, so, why are you really so annoyed? Why are you frustrated? What really is that issue? And I just started writing down what came to mind. Derek said this. All right, well, what about Derek? What about what he said annoyed you? All right, well, he told me to do this. Well, is that Derek's job to do that again? Like, all right. Now, again, talking to myself and just literally walking myself through that and calming myself down and documenting this entire process and thought of the reasons I was feeling frustrated and annoyed. After about 20 minutes, And one of the last things I wrote, this is not the box I want to be in. This is not my role. This is not who I am. And at that moment, and at that time, I owned the box I even put myself in and got to the root of that frustration because I'm controlling my emotion and how I react to something. And that something, in this case, Derek, was just now responding to the energy I was putting out. And he was just doing his job for his own safety and for his own awareness. And he had his own needs. He had his own baggage of which I can't own and will not own for he or anyone else. I just need to own mine and understand how can I influence this? It offered a liberating experience, quite frankly, to say, now I'm giving myself the power back. I have the power to do something different. I can either stay and adjust my behaviors and, and check my emotions. I can have a conversation with Derek and see where we can navigate or I can leave. And ultimately, you know, I made the choice to, to go because it was the right decision long-term and just from an emotional standpoint, right? Because when you're talking to Derek or anyone else, it's, they have to be willing to do something else as well. Yes. And if they're not willing, okay, what's then now what's the ultimate decision point then? And so when I find myself in those moments, I just, I acknowledge and say, crap, here, here I am. Yeah, you got yeah. yourself stuck in the stuff you teach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm not only a, a, a you know the the author and expert. I'm also a client, 
again, empowering place to be because I acknowledge where I am and I treat that acknowledgement as a place of reference, not of resident. I treat it as though it's a, an opportunity for me to grow and to become a better person, to be the person I want to be, to do the things that I'm passionate about and find joy in. That doesn't mean that I have to be everywhere. It does mean that I have to be intentional. I, I would assume when you go and work in a corporation or a big business, there I've talked with other people, and this is so true. I find it within myself. You don't leave your job. You leave your bosses because yes. it wasn't the job. I knew how to do the job. That wasn't the issue, but I couldn't work with the culture of the company or my, or my boss. You see that quite, quite often. I think that's been a, a very consistent narrative over the years. I've been working in organizations, you know, some 20 plus years um, and working with people for 25 you know, starting from my clinical psychology days, I think one of the one of the add-ons to people leave their bosses and not their jobs, there's an extension to that. I I believe that has really come to the forefront of our worlds and our life. I'd say in the last ten years or so, even maybe even longer. And that is that people do oftentimes leave jobs because if you acknowledge that when you are hired. You're hired for a specific activity. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily hired from a development standpoint to go do something else. So I've hired you for this particular role because we need someone to fill this role. Now, as you come into that role, you likely don't have all of the experience. So out of 100%, you may have about 60% of the experience. Or else, why would you actually take that job if you Mm -hmm. already have the experience already? Unless it's solely for money. And then at at that level, then you're probably not, not staying very long anyway. So you typically will be hired in when you have about 60% of that experience. Then maybe over that year, you'll build that 60% up to maybe 80%, maybe 90%, giving that experience and time and situation. And at that point, you start to see people honing their skills, probably that year and a year and a half in that they're honing their skills at that point. And now they're looking for something else, looking for new challenges, looking to do something different. And so for those who are, who are leaving, Now we're starting to see trends and people are creating opportunities only to come to work to just learn what they want to learn and then leaving and going. Mm -hmm. Because I was hired to do this one particular job. And for those who are looking for growth, looking for challenge, of which a lot of individuals are these days, especially in our gig economy, our startup world, you're seeing more of that narrative being true versus people actually leaving because of their managers. And so it's even evolved. But what's clear is across both scenarios, two things. Number one, clarity of purpose. You're doing something because you're being intentional. You want to learn something in one capacity or you leave a boss because you're unhappy and ready to leave. The second piece is trust. Trusting yourself to do something different. Being vulnerable enough to say, you know what? This isn't necessarily what I want anymore. I'm now willing to do something else and go out and I'm going to prove that. And I think that's something for us to hearken and feel empowered about as we move forward. I'm one of those that I just do the job just to do the job. I enjoy, Mm -hmm. but I like working at a company where I like people. Yes. I do part-time work because I know how my personality is. I know that I'm a very creative person. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I get my energy. Sure. I do the regular job part-time because that's as much as I could handle and do it very well because I don't believe in wasting people's time. If you're paying right. me for the time, I'm, I'm going to do the work and just do it and do it well. Right. And then I don't have to think about it again if it's done well. Right. It doesn't come back to me. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> you know, so then you have to do it twice now. But I want to get into your book about intention. Yeah. When someone knows their intention, what do you suggest? Like what I do when I find that I have an intention or something bothers me, I do a pros and cons list. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the pros win and it's stuff that's scary to me. Right. You know, and then sometimes the cons win. I'm like, well, then I challenge it because I'm like, well, I had the idea. Why is that a con? You know, but sometimes things are a con. Yeah. How do you? get that intention out there because most people are afraid of change and they Mm -hmm. know they want the change, but what are the baby steps that you can do? Is there a a process of getting someone there? I I think there, there is. Um, I I truly believe that um, there is a process to getting someone there, but I also would distinguish between intention and the process of change in that we can be intentional without changing. We can be intentional without having to do. Mm-hmm. I can sit at the beach, as we were describing earlier in this beautiful Southern California weather. We can sit at the beach and I'm being intentional about relaxing. Or we can go through meditation and being very intentional and getting lost in who we are and listening to ourselves, both mind and spirit. That's an action that is just as powerful and incites potentially even more than the actions of actually taking steps or being in constant movement and noise. But that intention and that specific purpose, as it relates to doing something different, requires focus, requires us to have to think in ways and expanding ourselves in moments that go beyond merely the word intent. And so for those who are looking to be intentional, one of the things that in the process I use for them to start taking their steps is what is it that you want? Answering the question of what is it that is your priority? Where do you feel that you want to do something different? Be it thinking, feeling, doing. And that different doesn't always have to be something bad. That, you know, oftentimes we think about change as a, as a function of, I need to do this because, oh my God, I, need to do it. Intent in building something to do new behaviors can be something powerful, but we also have to anchor on what is our true it that we want. As we also talked about early on, the process is answering the question of who are you? What is the principle of you? What are you bringing to the table? In those moments, acknowledging that we are nothing more than grain, who we are is nothing more than individual grains of sand on the beach each one offering a a moment of example and experience that have defined who we are and what we represent. And the culmination of what people see in that moment is nothing more than a chapter in one book. But we recognize that for every chapter we go into, we can't judge the book solely on it. We're judging it based off of the entirety of the book. Mm -hmm. And as such, you know, as we think about who we are and the entirety of our own stories and what we want, we now can then build a plan based off of acknowledgement, awareness, incrementally. So we're not trying to do everything because again, we didn't get here all at one point in time. Mm -hmm. The third step is building a plan aligned to what we want and what that priority is and who we are and what are we willing to do and creating transparency 
intentionally of that. Then it gets into taking specific actions, creating scenarios, or embedding new behaviors in the scenarios that are already there so we can begin to practice. I talk about it in my book um, around the examples of bartending, where we need to make the cheap mistake. So in bartending, it's you always want to pour your juices before your liquors if you're combining uh, the two. And the reason, if you overpour in a juice, you can easily throw that out. You overpour in a liquor, now we have to do some other calculations or we're going to have to throw the liquor out. So a good way to think about that is make the cheap mistake. Finding instances where we can practice consistency, thinking, feeling, doing something different, and then being in tune with that on a weekly or daily basis, finding that time where that's quiet. The, the fifth step, being in tune with what we're experiencing and seeing and not being lost to, oh my God, I'm fearful, or being like Wile E. Coyote and, you know, Wile E. Coyote with no cartoon never did the same thing twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he never tried the same contraption twice to catch that roadrunner, or it was very rare when he did. But we treat life that way where it's like, oh my God, I'm scared. I'm, I, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't know what to do. And you know what? I'm going to try something new. Because as you described, it's a lot more fun to be creative than going back and having to correct. Because correction offers us judgment of what we didn't work. And that consistent reminder can so often be de uh, debilitating. Whereas creation is like, hey, this is something new. Hey, let's try this out. Let's try this out. Like, hey, let's go exactly. here. And then finally, acknowledging where we're building and trying our new behaviors in different scenarios. Because just we, I can get you to do something one time, one day, does not make a behavior new as much as I got you to do it one time, one day. Yeah. I'm looking to build sustainment, building capabilities. And so summarizing this for a moment, intention is really in one, saying we can be intentional in any moment in time with what we do and how we do it. But intention as we, as I define it, and as I look at it from building capabilities of transform, transforming our stories from who we were to something else starts with, what is it that you want? The second piece of who are you and the principle of you. The third, now I have a foundational plan that I can build based off of the what and who that I've now consciously thought about. The fourth is now taking those actions and steps incrementally by making the cheap mistakes. And the fifth is being in tune with who we are and being conscious of that and checking and adjusting as we move forward, knowing that we're aware and conscious. And we're not necessarily starting all the way over but we're building. And that ultimately is the gift because that is our key ingredient to our ability to sustain. What is the difference? Cause you're, as you're going through the steps, mm -hmm. if there even is a difference mm -hmm. in myself, my, I could set an intention, but what is the difference between an intention and a goal? Because sometimes I'll set a goal and then I'm like, oh my God, this is so much work to get to this goal. <laughs> Yeah. So what is the difference? And I, I mean, that's what it was. I go, I want to start a podcast, but I didn't know that I had to do all this social media and that I right. had to learn how to edit my podcast. And I didn't know how, to, <laughs> but I, I really wanted to do the podcast. And that was, it was a goal. I found it more as a goal than an intention. So what is the difference yeah. between a goal and an intention? Sure. And you just touched on it. Your goal was to have a podcast. Period. Mm -hmm. You would have, if you just did one podcast without knowing how to edit, without knowing how to get participants, without knowing what questions you want to ask, without posting, etc., you would have reached that goal. Period. It's a singular event driven 
action. Ah, that's the difference. Okay. Right. Now, when you think about intention, it's the behaviors associated with the, with the achievement of doing something different. So your intention was, now I have to learn what equipment do I need? Now I've got my intention is spending the time thinking about this every single day. I have to educate myself, being vulnerable. I have to also, my intent was now, how do I engage my guests? How do I reach out to them? Oh, well, better yet, how do I get them? Yeah. Now I need a website. I need an intentional to create the visibility behind it. And your intention ultimately is, as you described early on, on the reason you started this podcast was to help just one person. That's your intent. What that looks like, how that shows up through our messaging, through the content you share from other guests, through what you promote through your social media, you don't know how that's going to end up, but you've built the capability through intentionally taking steps just to help one person. And every step you take is an intention. Every moment that you drive towards this priority, in this case, the podcast, is intent. Your goal, you've already achieved. You've got the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and that in lies the difference between the two. Ah, that's very true. I, you know, I, it's funny because I do with, and you just brought it up, even though I didn't know consciously I was thinking per episode, how can this help someone? Because the, the all around intention was to at least help one person. Right. And as I explained to you, that's why I stay away from politics, religion, and sales, because there's nothing worse to me than going to a website or something like that. And then all you get bombarded with is all these sales things. Right. It's okay to sell because that's how people are going to know about you. How else will right. they know about you if you don't market? Right. So right. I understand that point of it, but I've gone to some websites and it's just like these flashing things bye, bye, bye. And I'm, and then I don't want to listen to their message, even though their message might be amazing. Yes. And that might be their intent. Maybe their intent is less about the podcast message and their intent is to drive you towards that sale. Or if your intent is for, to be on a political lens or to be on a religious lens, there's nothing wrong with any of that. No, not at all. That's just your, that's their intent. But as we've described, their intent is not yours. Correct. <laughs> right? Correct. And what you're driving, driving towards is a very personal story of transformation for you. And this is how it's actually showing up in an authentic way. And I think these podcasts that we've seen now the increase of, even your audience members who come and hear the different episodes get the diversity of thought, but that's the intent of creating the possibilities and expansion that you want right. for your audience to experience because that's what you value. Yeah. I think that's the truth of our ability to authentically tell our stories in ways that no one else can. During this pandemic, a lot of perceptions and issues and that came about that showed so much anger, mm -hmm. even though I did not agree with them. I saw fear. How would I feel if I had that much fear? Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. And so that was part of the reason why I keep all that out because there's so much fear. You know, how do you calm a fear? Calming fear takes time, especially when as this last year where the fear is provided to us based off perception and choice 
versus something that we've created ourselves individually. That fear then comes out in anger and differentiation. And then we fight to find things that are consistent with our beliefs that hold true and create the narrative that yes, I am valued and anything that is not like me is then bad. That fear is being driven by the thought that I'm less than. It's driven by, I won't have. And I believe that as we fight through fear, it often comes down in my mind to the differentiation between I want versus I need. We fear because we can't receive. So if, you know, a lot of times we, we want something, like I want a new car, mm -hmm. or I want a piece of pizza, yeah. or I want more money. Those, that differs from I need. I need a job so that I can pay for, to live. I need to breathe. I need food for nourishment. I need water for nourishment. Often what happens, we falsely confuse our wants with our needs. And so when, and, and when I see fear, it's that safety of like, oh, our wants, our needs, right? And you know, our, our wants now turned into our needs. And now you're saying I'm taking something away. And like, oh, no, I need that because if I don't have it, then I'm less than. And now you see the proliferation of that fear and the anger and, and uh, the difference. And that creates a dialogue and narrative that doesn't create oneness. It does not create together. It doesn't create love nor happiness. No, and it makes you feel that if they have it, you don't have it. Right. There's so much abundance. I really go back to gratitude because it made such a change in my life that just being grateful and not just in a general term, like I'm grateful for my life, actually going through each and every little thing that you have. Right. I remember doing that. I'm like, oh my God, I have so much stuff I have to be grateful for. So, because yeah. it was constant, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. I realized how much abundance I actually have. And I don't think I'm the only one that did that. I saw a lot of people donating during this time, donating their, their possessions, donating money, donating. And yet it was a time, if you really think about it, it in society, it was almost a time of lack because yes. people were out of work. People didn't know what was going to happen with their jobs. They didn't know what was going to happen with their family, the schools, if they have kids. I found like there was two opposing viewpoints at the very same time. I agree with that. You know, to expound on it from my perspective, this last year really demonstrated an opportunity to really demonstrate what's most important. What's most important to survive? What do you really need? And for those of whom were not defined by external influences and or activity or noise, struggled, those who were reliant upon that struggled a little bit more than those who were centered and had, didn't have as much noise in their life to the extent that, you know, those are like, oh, you can't tell me to wear a mask. If I don't want to wear a mask, I won't. Or I, why can't we go to school? Why can't we walk around? Tired of being in the house versus those who said, okay, here are the rules. We have to wear a mask to stay inside. Now those are the rules. Got it. Didn't make up the rules. I didn't necessarily ask them for them to change either, but now that I have these new rules, now let's play. And I actually took joy in it. Yeah. It, I, it was a wonderful time to reflect. I, and I think so many people, I'm sorry, so many people have 
were fighting it because now they had to think. Yes, we're forcing people to get lost in their thoughts. And again, going back to one of my earlier comments, people don't want to think. They get caught up in noise and they're afraid of the quiet. Much like you, someone asked me, you know, what, what changed for me? And I said, well, probably not much. You know, I was already, already working remotely. I worked pretty long days and I was getting my book finalized and doing a number of different activities there. So my days went by extremely fast. The major change was I just couldn't go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then it's like, okay, now I figured it out. You know, for others, well, well, that's a very simplistic view, and I and I can appreciate that from a you know a, a certain lens. You know, for others, right? This was a time of of fear, because now I have to get lost in my thoughts, or now I have three kids, and now what do I do with them? And when the time that they would normally be in school or otherwise, I would actually be doing work or doing errands, etc. Now I am not afforded that time, and now what do I do during the day? How do I make sure I have my own downtime? So I got people to really sit down for a moment and really re-anchor on what their lives really look like if it was out of uh, some level of disjointment. And some, I think, are gonna were successful at it. Others struggled a little bit more. I went to social media more often because I saw many people posting. They were posting the funniest memes, like they're in a meeting on Zoom and their kids are crawling all over them and they're trying to be serious or uh, the coronavirus things where you saw like a bottle of Corona and everybody, every, all the other fruit and vegetables staying away from it. There was a lot of humor during that time too. And it really eased because even though I, I do like to stay home and I do like to contemplate, I am very social. Mm-hmm. And so it did affect that because you had to have a close knit people around you that sure. you hang out with. But it was a good time to reflect if you used it that way. Agreed. Um, and I think that's the, the catch of if you used it that way. No, I don't think any of us clearly could have anticipated the duration of such reflection and acknowledgement. But that being said, I think it affords us a chance to re-anchor and center again on what is most important. You know, what's our priority and who are we? Who am I as an individual? And what in my environment has kept me where I am? Just as you mentioned of the the parodies and the mimes, et cetera, that have happened over Zoom and otherwise, you also touched on people cleaning house. You see a lot more people doing those things that they've always put off, that they always just look around and say, you know what? I got the time and space to do this, so why not? Exactly. Let's invest in that time now because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Let's clean house. And I think that was an extremely important activity in and of itself. And I'll be curious to see how it, it all moves forward as we start to open up. Obviously, here in California today, mm-hmm. other parts of the country are already there. I'm curious to see how our world begins to open up here domestically, but also globally as we get some more knowledge and awareness and comfort to go back outside our homes to see what actually stays. With me, I also thought, wow, I realize how little we actually need. Yes. We need a roof over our heads. We mm-hmm. need a car in California, we, in special yeah. Los Angeles area, we need a car. Yeah. We need to feel safe and we need to feel loved and companionship and yes. food. Yes. So yeah. that's all we really need. I have an old car. As long as it works, I don't need a new one. Right, right. Where am I going anywhere anyway these days? Right, right. I'm going to sit in the garage for uh, for a time being, Mr. 
Dr. I should say, not Mr. <laughs> Dr. Ian D. Brooks. What is the name of your book and how can people reach you? And what do you have as last words to the audience? Um, I'll start off with the last words because uh, and then talk about talk about the book. Um, okay. But but the thing that I'll say is and I'm a big believer in as we've been talking about today is that nature of self. It offers us that foundation. So there's a quote from this gentleman by Niccolo Machiavelli um, in his book, The Prince. Uh, it was written in 1532. Wow. And there's a quote that I like that he, that he put in there and you know, I have it up sticky. So I'll read it so I don't mess this one up. Um, <laughs> but he goes, he who does not lay his foundations beforehand may by great abilities do so afterwards. Although with great trouble to the architect and danger to the building. And that quote stands out to me because who we are is our foundation. And our acknowledgement of self is such an important piece of fabric that is interwoven into anything that we do and how we show up in a moment, in experiences, and in a lifetime. And just our conscious awareness of that and taking the time to just pause and acknowledging who we are in that foundation in our own transformational journey is such an extremely important component. And while with great ability, right, we can change and we can make something happen, as the quote says, with great trouble to the architect and danger to the building, if not done so, because it's going to take a lot of rework if we haven't set that solid foundation and potentially bring down other barriers and other parts of their building that we didn't even realize. That would be mine. So as we go through this journey of life, recognize that our anchor of self is such an important piece of fabric and who we are and what we want to do. And when we start there and then putting it into context of what we want new, we'll be better off moving forward. I like the foundation and the architect. I almost saw them as one. Yeah. And uh, they are one. That is the entire point. Yeah, that they are one. And the building is one as well. We are the architect. We are the building. And we are the foundation. We are the foundation. It's mind, body, and soul. That is such an important point of driving towards who we are from an intention standpoint. To your other question, my book is called Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. It can be found on Barnes Noble as well as with, on, within Amazon. It is an ebook as well as print copy. There will be a audiobook version coming out here in the not too distant future for those audiobook uh, listeners. And they can reach me a little bit more information about me at rhodesmith.com. That's R H O D E S S M I T H.com, all one word, um, where they can find information regarding myself, the book, the work I do, one on one coaching as well as this uh, wonderful podcast. I can also be found on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. B underscore intention. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. I learned so much from you as well as I, I know the audience will. So thank you and many blessings. No, Sonia, thank you. Likewise, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.